we're going to be positive every day. You're the people being negative. You and some of the fans. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door, and Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through the door, they're going to be gray and old. And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. And I've been around, and, and, and when Jim Rice was booed, I've been around with Yashramski booed, and it stinks. It makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy. This is Entitled Town. Hello, everybody. Success is a choice. This episode of Entitled Town is brought to you by Porcini's Italian Restaurant in Lexington, Kentucky. Hello, friends. I'm here with Patrick Scartelli, lead columnist for the new website, the15net.com. Mr. Scartelli, how are you? Oh, I'm doing good. We're, uh, you know, got the hatches battened down for an ice storm rolling through here. You had something similar uh, the other day. So, yeah, we're just going to have to uh, just going to have to muddle through somehow. There's a storm on the horizon. Uh, joined again by my brother, John. Uh, how you doing, John? What are your what are your wrap up your thoughts on the Super Bowl? Brady winning his seventh and the Bucks winning the title. Gronkowski as well. Well, it was, uh, you know, I was cheering for Brady all the way. I've uh, been cheering for him all season. was rooting for a Bucks patriots Super Bowl, as we've talked about. I uh, was happy to see Tom do it. Uh, 20 years of, of cheering for him with the Patriots. I couldn't give him up just because he left for a season. And, and notwithstanding the way he left and, and some of the kind of the, you know, kind of the weirdness around that, been, I'll, I'll always be pro-Tom Brady, absolutely. Um, notwithstanding the, the, the BS Brady versus Belichick scorecard we'll get uh, to media that. narrative. And I know we'll get to that. Uh, I am definitely comfortable with Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl. Scott, so your thoughts on the Super Bowl and uh, Brady and Gronk? Oh boy. I... Oh boy. Is the, right. the way that, uh, the way that all, all four of the, uh, fake championships in this COVID year have gone. It was not terribly surprising that it was going to be a no-win scenario for a Boston sports fan. So we got to uh, book passage on the Kobayashi Maru there and got to see uh, Tom celebrate uh, with, a, with a boat parade. Not a, uh, not a duck boat parade, but an actual, you know, floaty boat parade. And he, you know, he certainly, uh, he, he played well. There are some lunatics out there who think that uh, Mahomes played better. I don't know if Mahomes vertical incompletions are obviously better than touchdown passes. <laughs> That'll I, be a uh, PFF stat soon. I, I I can't even get over the the media narratives around vertical incompletions, and then and then the stat humpers that are talking about you know Brady throwing for two hundred one yards in the Super Bowl. Do you guys know he threw for sixty seven yards in the second half, and they win going away? You know something tells me there's something about winning. And then there's something about accumulating stats. And those aren't necessarily, you know, meeting in the same place oftentimes. It's almost like complimentary football is winning football. Brady I've threw for that. 505 yards in the game against Philadelphia. I'd like to have that result back. I don't know about you guys. Absolutely. You know, to your point, Scarcy, when it comes to the rooting interest of Boston of people like you and I who actually enjoy Boston sports, you should be fading our preferences like we're a bankroll boy at this point because it's been worst case scenario outcomes in all four of the major sports. Uh, the Brady Gronkowski thing, John, 
I thought you brought up something that was kind of interesting comparing Brady. Brady doesn't have a peer in the NFL. Um, who would you compare him to? Yeah. So given this some thought, you know, the last week there was a lot of talk about the goat, you know, the all-time goat Brady is without peer in the NFL. We agree on that. So then you have to go outside the NFL. You know, you see the, the legendary bowlers, women's tennis players, you know, uh, I'm seeing gifts from, from the bowlers taunting people the way Brady's taunting Tyron Matthew, you know, I mean, Brady's in this rarefied air with Pete Weber. Um, I think we got to get outside sports. I've been thinking about Brady as John Lennon. And, and the, the kind of the cliff notes version of that is, of course, you've got Brady, you know, legendary member of a, of a team, of an organization. He breaks off from the Patriots. There's a little bit of a Yoko Ono thing going on with family, his wife, his dad. He goes off his separate way. John Lennon had very, very good success as a solo artist. You know, the, the Beatles, of course, broke up. Patriots aren't necessarily breaking up, but there is there is something to be to me about the, the career arc of Brady looking more like John Lennon at this point than it than you know maybe any particular athlete in the NFL. Lennon McCartney kind of could you could make an argument. It's a it's a Belichick Brady thing. Scarcity. Oh, um, sure, sure. Any there's, thoughts on that? There's no uh, I wouldn't go with uh because of the you know the coach uh player uh dynamic there i don't know if you'd go with that i don't know if uh belichick would be more like uh producer george martin or uh you know ryan epstein or some sort of thing like that but we could we could we could go the entire you know 50 60 minutes on this i'm sure and just riff on beatles things there but uh but it is it, it is an interesting way to look at it uh, there's uh he is sort of his uh like you say, he's in his own uh, own category. He's a you know category of one. No, yeah, the, go ahead, John. The, you know the 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 Lennon comp too. It's the the kind of the Lennon as a as a kind of a a unique artist. You know, you think about Brady as a as a unique artist. You know, the age in which he's accumulating these stats and these accomplishments. The 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 kind of the fanatical way he manages his 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 body, his athleticism. I mean, you know, Le Lennon went into some very, you know, unique places uh, as an artist it, when around the time he was getting ready to leave the Beatles shortly after he left the Beatles. Um, of course, you know, the, like I said, the, the Yoko Ono kind of, you know, aspect and how much the, the Giselle, Tom Sr., kind of uh, Guerrero stuff. They're both Yoko, Tom Sr. and Giselle. Yeah, they're both. And, and it's Yoko's too. all the way down. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, to me, it's, it's, and it really, it gets to the greatness and the uniqueness of Brady and the greatness and the uniqueness of Lennon and the Beatles, what the Patriots accomplished, what the Beatles accomplished. I just, I'm not interested in Serena and Pete Weber and any football player and even Michael Jordan. Brady stands alone in, in his accomplishments at this point. I think you have to look outside sports. He's a, he's an iconic figure in kind of history at this point not just sports history so are the buccaneers no, the uh, plastic ono band then <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 plastic ono the plastic ono band didn't have that many weapons i don't think that patrick <laughs> i i see bruce arians um, as a fitting member of the plastic ono band probably somewhere he opens he opens for the plastic ono band Maybe a roadie. I mean, come on he's a roadie in the plastic <laughs> ono band yeah he wants you to listen to his mixtape for damn sure. He did admit, however, that he had very little to do with it. And you know what, Coach Kangal, for once, I agree with you. I want to jump. I want. So we're recording this. Uh, what the hell is this? This is Monday. President's uh, Day. 
eight days after the Super Bowl. I want to jump ahead to something that's been on social media today that, that absolutely has me flummoxed. There's a uh, Sam Monson, who is one of the co-founders of Pro Football Focus. Um, I Listen, I don't think PFF is worth uh, any paper that you used to print out on when you used to read Bill Simmons's old columns and read them in the crapper on a Friday afternoon. But I want to read Sam Monson's tweet today regarding, <clears throat> and I say this with tongue firmly planted in cheek, quote, in the Belichick versus Brady scorecard, <clears throat> one thing that does appear to be going firmly in Brady's direction is which guy brought the, quote, winner ring, end quote, lure to free agents. Post-divorce Brady's like a magnet to ring chasers and BB can't buy interest in people coming to New England. Let's, putting aside for a moment, just how disingenuous that is in a year that we just went through where the Patriots had to go through a salary cap reset and didn't have the room to pursue free agents. Scarcy, any thoughts on that? I'm not terribly surprised that PFF with their fake numbers also has apparently a uh, fake scorecard uh, sideline business to go with. To, to quote Elaine Bennis, when it comes to um, PFF, fake, 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 fake. John, the PFF thing, you've, you've been the subject or you've had to listen to my rants more than a dozen or a dozen multiplied times regarding the, the PFF stats. And Scarzi, by the way, that, that response was a plus 2.1. Well done. John, the PFF thing, Sam Mons in particular, the Brady and Belichick scorecard. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the, the 24-hour immediate news cycle, you know, needs content. So when in the absence of content, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, right? You know, in the absence of content, content will be conjured up. And this, this non-existent scorecard is a make-believe narrative from make-believe media. You mm -hmm. know, I will say to Scarzi's point, PFF ostensibly is a, you know, quantitative enterprise, you know, based on data, fake data, it's a click you know, it weirdly, you know, created formulas that measure pass rusher effectiveness and in the kind of the goofy stuff they create and that it's, it's, it's breaking away from, you know, the, the quantitative into the qualitative with these mm -hmm. goofy narratives uh, that they're, that they're making up out of thin air. And of course, other people are talking about it too, the Brady Belichick you know, who's winning, who, who carried who, I mean, I, you know, all of us are old enough to remember a couple of years ago when Belichick carried Brady and held that dynamic Rams offense, the three points in the Super Bowl. And, you know, here we are two years later and Belichick doesn't know what he's doing. And Brady is no longer a system quarterback. And, you know, the Buccaneers are a wagon that, that would have won with anybody. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the ridiculous narratives, you, you just can't escape them. You know, we are, we are surrounded by them. No, it's it's very true. Scarcy, to John's point, go ahead. I'm just uh, is is this is this entire uh, setup based on the fact that he managed to get two of his old teammates to come play with him for one one last shot at things? It's 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 a it's a bullshit argument at best. The Gronkowski thing was, was well played was well played here. Um, what I the one thing that I want to point out is. You can d divide Brady's time with the Patriots. You could probably divide it into thirds, but just, just for the sake of argument, I'll, I'll do it pre-07 and post-07. Let's look at the quote-unquote big free agents that they signed in the first half of the dynasty. And this is before Tom Brady was Tom Brady in 2007. Roman Pfeiffer, 
I'm reading the dynasty. Roman Pfeiffer comes because he was recruited by Willie McGinnis to play with Bill Belichick. Rodney Harrison famously has said that he, when he was released by San Diego, he was in the offices of Al Davis when he received a phone call, according to the book, The Dynasty, flew to Foxborough, signed with the Patriots. Roosevelt Colvin, same thing. Adelius Thomas, same thing. Adam Humphreys was a weapon for the Titans, or he, excuse me, he was a weapon with the Bucks, ironically, a couple of years ago when the Patriots with Brady in 2000, it was 2018 offseason before the 19 season. Adam Humphreys went and signed with Tennessee to go play with Mariota in what wind up being Tannehill. Did Brady, was Brady the deciding link there to woo the free agents? Can either of you name a free agent that signed with the Patriots? Um, listen, Brady's a part of it, right? The Brady-Belichick thing. They're there to win. They're not there for Tom. If Tom's going to win, it's going to be great. Correct me if I'm wrong. Scarzi. Oh, no, that is, uh, that's uh, exactly the, uh, the line of thinking that I have there. And, and to give, uh, to give credit uh, to give credit that, well, I think, uh, I think it is true that uh, Antonio Brown went to play with. Uh, that's true. The, that's, that's one thing. And well, just to, just to, you know, side, just to, you know, sidetrack us a little more. Isn't it surprising how uh, you, you know, there was no, uh, you know, Clemco expose after uh, he signed with uh, a non-Patriots team. Thousand percent. You're, you're right about that. When Clemco signed with the Patriots in the early in the 2019 season, there was a firestorm. And Robert Clemco, he of Grand Theft Auto um, aspirations in the Chicago area, uh, hinted that there was a, a deeper reporting going on. There would be an expose on Brown's um, off the field, shall we say, issues. The Patriots released him as soon as some of that stuff really came to light. The more violent stuff came to light. And since then, crickets. Coach, you had, you had Coach Kangal insisting he wasn't going to sign Antonio Brown. And 35 minutes after he said that, he signed there. But Coach Kangal is a media darling because he gives them quotes. Am I, it's a, the hypocrisy is, is quite maddening, John. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, your point there at the end is something that we've all talked about. The, the friendliness, the coverage of a coach is directly relational to the friendliness of the coach toward the media. And it is obvious for anybody who wants to pay attention. And what, what bothers me is actually the number of people who, who don't see that for whatever reason, you know, you see on social media, so many people just kind of play into this. Belichick is curmudgeonly. Belichick is joyless. Playing for the Patriots is a joyless enterprise. And why would anyone want to go run up hills for the Patriots and, you know, play for a, a real jerk like Bill Belichick. It's like, how does that exist? I mean, how with all the Super Bowls they've won and all the DVDs that have been put out about, you know, the 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 Patriots and, and their success and how they've how they've earned that success from training camp all the way through the the Super Bowl. You know, how do people not see this? I, I really struggle with it. I know we're close to it and we we you know, we, we like this team a lot. We pay close attention to it, but I just don't. And, and, and I think the answer, Mike, is to your point, it is the media and the way they relentlessly kind of cover uh, a fun loving guy like Coach Kangol and Bill Belichick is this, you know, this pout pout fish who glumly swims through the waters and doesn't smile or, you know, kiss any babies. This goes so I, I'm going to go back to the book, The Dynasty again. I'm not done with it yet. But this, this narrative on Belichick, obviously it goes back, to, the origin of this is his tenure in Cleveland. 
the Cleveland media, I mean, just totally turned on him and everything exacerbated the year that they announced their move to Baltimore and everything fell apart in Cleveland at the end there. The team quit, the players quit, pretty extraordinary circumstances. Um, fast forward a couple of years, Belichick was with Parcells in his final season with the Patriots for the 96 season when they went to Super Bowl 31. And in the dynasty, uh, and now it's very heavily filtered through a craft lens because both Jonathan uh, and Robert, and I assume his son, Dan, who's involved with the team, they, uh, they cooperated with the book and it's basically a craft hagiography at every point. But when Belichick wanted to hire him to succeed Parcells originally, he asked around, including he asked television executives, which kind of blows my mind. And universally from his, from the, the people in the league, executives, fellow coaches and TV executives thought it would be a disaster, which was a, a part of the reason why he wound up hiring Pete Carroll. Although I think the, overarching narrative combined with that was that he wanted a clean break from the Parcells regime, but that's, um, that's neither here nor there. I'm enjoying the dynasty. I actually had to stop it listening before they started getting into deflate gate in the 2014 AFC championship game. Um, the flips, it's not even the flip side of Sam Monson. There is a bot. I'm convinced it's a bot named Dove Kleeman on Twitter. He's at NFL underscore Dove Kleeman. It, it, that account has a decidedly anti-Patriot and more to the point anti-Belichick bent. Scott, you've been following this account a little bit, yes? I am, and it's a quandary. If it's uh, if it's an actual person, you know, um, how can they be anonymous and be verified by Twitter? But on the other hand, if they're a actual, you know, a genuine reporter who's working, you know, under a uh, nom de guerre, why do they need to? Everyone knows that the reporters hate Belichick. It, it's it's, you know, it's too cute by half if it is, oh, if it is, but. Yeah. When the facts aren't interesting, print the legend, right? I mean, I'm, I'm mixing that. I'm, I'm really making a pig's breakfast of that, of that metaphor. Kleeman tweeted a little bit earlier today. Um, the first sentence, you know, this should be, I wish we had a laugh track for this first sentence in this tweet, uh, this tweet quote, we know how bad Belichick has been in recent years in player evaluation, but how can he be so wrong here? This second sentence needs two laugh tracks per Albert Breer. <laughs> okay, hold on. The Patriots got wide receiver Brandon Cooks to be part of the Garoppolo offense, not Brady, due to fit. Putting aside that Albert Breer has no insight on anything, Brandon Cooks had over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns this year, his year with the Patriots. They did trade him the offseason. It was, it was, I don't want to use the word blueprint. The Patriots got Cooks for a first-rounder. He had a terrific year. They went to the Super Bowl. They turned around and traded Cooks for a higher first-round pick the year after that. How is that being, to the point of his tweet, he's been so bad in recent years in player evaluation, a year, two years in a row that they went to the Super Bowl? John? Yeah, I mean, it's, the whole thing is based on a, a weird foundation that it was all about, you know, first of all, Burt Breer, right? you know, laugh track inserted. Second of all, Bert isn't even, you know, committed to his source. It's, you know, my understanding, he's got this like wishy-washy sort of like text wrapped around this concept. That Professional writer. Be, yeah, it was going to be Garoppolo's team and Brady, you know, stuck around longer than anticipated. And like, 
you know, all, this is this is in, in, in a world full of ridiculous storylines. The Brady Garoppolo stuff remains, you know, a medalist, you know, maybe not the gold medalist, but a medalist in in kind of the the just the ridiculous storylines of the last several years. I mean, the fact that Brady has continued to perform at this level at the age of 43 is remarkable. And if Bill Belichick didn't anticipate that happening, well, who did? You know, nobody did. So you draft a guy who's a successor and Brady continues to play at a high level and you have to right. move the successor. I mean, it's it's not really that interesting a story, except for the fact that Brady continues to do what he does at, at this advanced age. Now, this this weird Cook's piece of it, like Bert's broken some some big news. And, and of course, like you said, Dovebot, Dovebot is is using it as another opportunity to slander Belichick which, you know, I, I don't, I mean, if that's, if that's, you know, I, I would say that that has like all the fingerprints of a Ron Borges sort of exercise, but we all know that Ron would have to steal it from somebody else if it were him. So well, it can't be Ron. That's a good point. The thing, I want to go back to Garoppolo really quickly, because I think, again, it was what, how Belichick handled the Garoppolo, uh, everything with Garoppolo was a masterclass, drafted him in the second round, 63rd overall developed him to the point where he stepped in um, in the 2016 season where he went 2-0 in his starts, got hurt in the third game or the second game against Miami, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And I think yeah. I am. That's and right. And then developed him to the point where he became an asset, traded him at the last minute in his walk season, used him as the full insurance policy in the 2017 season, traded him in the deadline and got the pick back in the thirties with interest that Ben Volan then said they laundered. Um, but it's, it's not that easy or not that difficult to confuse mittens. <laughs> Scott, your, your thoughts on this, this dove clean and this, they, if I didn't know better, I swear this was a script written by 345 park Avenue to slander Belichick. That's as uh, believable as anything else. Just the just the incredible self-assuredness of that first sentence reminds me of an old Saturday Night Live uh, commercial bit uh, for British toothpaste, which the the line that started it was, "Everyone knows you don't have to brush your teeth every day." <laughs> and I just well, everyone knows that built and terrible at personnel. No, <laughs> where are you getting this from? It's not an empirical truth. You're getting this from the talking radio men? Uh, big if true. I'm hearing the same thing. I just, I, I can't get enough of Breer's crutch phrases. I should be slandering anybody for having crutch phrases, allegedly. But um, Breer triggers me. Um, Scarcy, what's more triggering? Seth Wickersham on California Bill Simmons's podcast or Fitzy, Fitzy's birthday wishes and just romanticizing the Drew Bledsoe error in New England? I've got to go with, uh, got to go with uh, Fitzy, whom um, he's he's his own he's he's his own thing there, and the fact that he could talk about how Drew helped instill a championship culture in uh, in New England leads me to believe he didn't see much football back when Drew was playing. Oh dear God, I, I'm not going to go off on a rant, but I will throw it. Uh, to John, the Fitzy thing or the uh, the Wickersham thing, what triggers you? When I think of Fitzy, I think of other legendary Bostonians like Neil Diamond, who gave us Sweet Caroline uh, in honor of Fenway Park. So Fitzy, 
has to come in second place. Bill Simmons having Seth Wickersham uh, anywhere near his media properties is is Judas selling out, you know, the the franchise, selling out his city. Um, I get the fact that he's California Bill and and you know he's got his media stuff and he's got to play that game, but no, nah, I got a Fitzy. Fitzy is you know whatever he's got his little shtick, but you know Bill Simmons really ought to know better. He has completely become the things that he used to lampoon when he was on Digital Cities twenty years ago. No, you're right. He's the age now that Glenn Ordway was when Bill Simmons was uh, lampooning Ordway. So. Um, the circle continues. The circle of mediacy continues. It's really disappointing. Simmons arguably has the largest platform in the largest national platform in terms of podcasts and the way that he misrepresents things that happens, not only with the Patriots, but with the Celtics. Um, it's, it, it's maddening to me yet. I still, it's a character flaw in me that I listen to that. And I'd love to say that I'm listening and reading this garbage. So you don't have to. But the truth is, and John knows this better than anybody, I'm just maladjusted and I need some place to vent um, my, my loads of insanity. Yeah, I will say, Mike, I hate to say it, and you're going to hate hearing it, but you're proving Gary Tangway right, or you're proving Alex Reimer right. It is hate listening. You are, you are falling into the hate listening trap. That's what these yeah, guys on, are on the pod, on the On the podcast, I'm absolutely guilty. I wouldn't listen. The last time I listened to Boston Radio was the last time I flew home. And uh, Scarzi will get on me about this as an old joke from the old board is like, oh, I got in the car in the morning and the radio was on WEEI, but that was because I was listening to the Red Sox game last night. But I really did get in a rental car at Logan and on the radio was um, Bonesy Adam Jones and Christian Arcand misrepresenting anything, taking shits on Jack, but in particular on Jackie Bradley, who was a wonderful player and a really key member of the 2018 World Champions including that unbelievable grand slam and in, in the against the Astros in the ALCS that year the misrepresent let me try that again in English the misrepresentation and gaslighting that goes on in Boston media 98.5 they are they, they play the Boston audience like a Stradivarius and WEI is attempting to become uh, 98.5 but dumber as I always say Scarty are you still managing to avoid it are you are you picking this stuff up for the sports junk draw column just by osmosis. Oh, it's mainly just, uh, mainly just osmotic. You know, you pick it up through the Twitter and figure out what the heck's going on there. And by the way, when you were at the, uh, at the Logan, did you spot any uh, NFL free agents at the Hertz counter? I think it may, may have been Larry Fitzgerald may have been uh, Adam Humphreys. I'm not really sure. It would have been knows? Cleo Lemon. You never know about these things. <laughs> Cleo Lemon spot. Oh God. <laughs> Cleo um, Lemon. I started Cleo Lemon in fantasy in week 17 one year. <laughs> the Patriots win 11 games with Cleo Lemon last year playing quarterback. I mean, uh, that's, I hate to say that's true. Um, yes. But uh, you know, like I say, I, I know it's, it's, it's everywhere. You know, I, I turn on the TV and there's Chris Gasper. It's just a uh, interesting. It's, 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 it's hard to avoid. Interesting. What is something that's never been said about a Gasper column for a hundred, Alex? Um, I want to, I thought this would, this was kind of interesting. I sent this to you guys kind of last minute. Um, the email address is entitledtown at gmail.com. And this, this may be a, a longer form conversation at some point, as Scarzi said earlier to me, 
we're kind of in the silly season for Florio clicks and uh, the PFF kind of, of garbage and up until we get to the draft. And then the SOFA scouts will come out and uh, gaslight any pick that comes on, even though they hadn't heard of this guy until they read it in the online uh, SI Monday morning quarterback, the player value, player evaluations in quotation fingers. Anyway, the listener email is from Vinny Jace. And he asks, hey, guys, I'm a big fan of your show. My question is this. What happens if the Patriots win Super Bowl 31 against the Packers? Scarzi, you want to take this one first? I'll go with this one first. It's a very interesting counterfactual. You know, granted, a lot of uh, a lot of things had to happen with that. At 27-21, after Curtis Martin scored a touchdown and a really great run up the middle, I was convinced they were winning that game, Scarzi. Sorry to step on you. Oh, no, 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 no. It was... It, it was I'm not saying it wasn't a winnable game because it was a winnable game, which makes it even worse what actually happened. But, um, okay, so they win it. What happens with Big Tuna? He was, you know... The price goes up every day, as Mo Vaughn once said. He was burning up the Watts line to Hempstead. We all know that. Yeah, he's using more burner phones than Omar on the wire. Well, actually, he wasn't using a burner phone. That was the issue. He was was on the phone bill. That's right. And uh, does does he stick with the team or does he, you know... Does he take his talents to uh, New Jersey, like uh, like what actually happened? The lure of Hempstead is has always proven to be strong. The idea that uh, and if that if that happens, who becomes the coach? I mean, it's one thing to uh, take over a uh, team that uh, came in second in the Super Bowl, but to take over a uh, Super Bowl winning team, I wonder if there'd be some more uh, contenders besides. Uh, Besides uh, Pete Carroll. No, it's true. And I, I, behind the scenes, Parcells was bad-mouthing Kraft and why would you want to work for him and that sort of thing. Uh, John, after Martin scores uh, in, this, in, this, in this scenario, the Patriots wind up winning the game however they win it. Uh, what do you think happens? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I have to say I've never really thought about it uh, until you just posed it. The first thing that comes to mind, though, is Parcells probably still out. Uh, for the reasons that you both have just talked about, but they stay in house, you know, I mean, they, they, they kind of keep it going uh, with, with maybe Belichick gets the job then. Yeah. And I I think that's, that's kind of the first place I went. I mean, you know, Parcells is going to leave because he'd already kind of, he'd already kind of, uh, you know, planted the seeds to leave, but they can't, they can't disrupt a Super Bowl winner. So yeah, Bill Belichick gets that job. Well, it's kind of what happens when Parcells left, uh, retired with the Jets, and there's a whole larger story with that, and everybody knows that. Were there quote fingers there with retired as well? Yeah, exactly, Scarzi. Um, when Parcells quote unquote retired, to your point, um, Belichick with the Jets automatically ascended to the head coach uh, position. As we all know, what happened? He resigned as HC of the NYJ. Parcells still looked inward and hired Al Gro, and Al Gro had a nice tenure with the Jets, and the Jets went through some Patriots former assistants at that point. They had Grow, they had Mangini, of course, famously in the mid-2000s. Um, I agree with you, John. I think they probably stay in-house. Um, although, again, leaning on the book, The Dynasty, and I think this is a not exclusive to that book, Pars- uh, excuse me, Kraft wanted a clean break from the, um, from the Parcells regime. And Belichick certainly wasn't going to offer a clean break at that point. And maybe that's why he went out of house. But I, I, I do think there's, there's definitely a path 
to not wanting to break up a winning combination and putting Belichick into the head coach position there ahead of time. And it's interesting. It's interesting, not in the Ben Volan way. Um, What large part of what happened that led to Belichick taking the job in 2000 was that Greer and Carroll really did a bad job handling the salary cap to the point when Belichick took over the team in the year 2000, at one point during the season, they didn't carry a full roster because they didn't have the salary cap room. And they had to, they cut Bruce Armstrong after the season. There was a lot of veterans on, on that team. They had to let go. And famously they went bargain shopping in the, uh, before the 2001 season with, uh, with Vrabel being, you know, David Patton among others. And the rest is history from there. So I thought that was a great question. Vinny, thank you. Um, Scott, do you got anything else you want to touch on? Oh, geez. Just like uh, what I was mentioning earlier, how with all the, with the Super Bowl being over and there's uh, we've got the, we've got the combine after a fashion, but for right now, until the, until the draft, we are, we are way wicked in the silly season right now as evidenced by the fact that we're dealing with people upset that uh, people upset about uh, Tom uh, tossing a football shaped trophy to a bunch of men who are, you know, trained and well-paid to catch football shaped objects. You want to talk about a nothing burger. Never. It's been pointed out by others that Gronkowski uh, half swung the Lombardi at Fenway park when someone was pitching a fake batting practice to him. Uh, John, anything else you wanted to touch on? Well, I mean, this one is, yeah, less than a nothing burger. I mean, you talk about silly season and, you know, I said earlier, nature abhors a vacuum. I mean, this woman's getting her, you know, 15 minutes of fame, I guess. Congratulations. You were born into a family of silversmiths, you know. And she also programmed the Dale and Teeth program today. So congratulations on being a program director for a day. Oh, God. I didn't know that, but I didn't need to know that either. So thank you for that. The, Don't worry. Nobody's <laughs> listening anyway. <laughs> the, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, we, we are able to, to kind of make fun of the stuff that gets talked about because so, you know, it's, it's so kind of devoid of, of significance. I mean, I, I'm excited about the draft. I'm excited about, you know, we haven't talked QB situation. Everybody else we is will. talking we about will the talk QB about situation. Um, plenty of time to talk about it in the next, you know, a uh, couple months too. Um, unless, you know, they make a move, you know, they may make a move between now and then, of course, but um, there's, you know, what else, you know, one other thing that's jumped out at me and looking at the, the social media stuff is the idea of quarterback wins as a meaningful stat. Mm-hmm. You know, you see, you see the, the, for lack of a better term, the, the, the number humpers uh, out there who want to hang a banner and, and have a parade for Aaron Rodgers's PFF rating. Right. And they're, and they're trying to tell us that, you know, somehow he's the greatest because arm talent, uh, or, you know, athleticism, or he can do things athletically that Tom Brady can't do. And, oh, by the way, it's a team sport and, you know, quarterback wins are an insignificant stat. And, and I can, I can buy that a season's worth of quarterback wins are insignificant. You know, Rex Grossman, I think went like 13 and three, one season, you know, is he a, is he a quarterback of, of a 780 something winning percentage? You know, of course he's not right. He's, he's a below average NFL quarterback that had a great season with a great defense, but you look at the, the length of Brady's career, you know, the, the seven Super Bowl wins, 10 appearances, all these wins. Is it, is it a fluke? Is he always landing on great defenses? Does he always benefit from excellent special teams or is there something to, you know, his, what he does 
that translates into winning football that, that the stat humpers just aren't seeing. You know, that's, that's something I've been, I've been thinking a lot about is, is, as people kind of rely more and more on numbers as opposed to what I guess we've traditionally valued, which is wins. No, that's, that's true. Um, it's a, it's a, I always make this point. scotty has been hearing this for years from me. You both have been hearing this from years from me. If he's a system quarterback, why doesn't everybody just run that system? I mean, it's, I hate to boil it down to a, a, a talk radio talking point there, but it, listen, it's, for me, it was, it was, you know, what's the old joke about uh, the mother-in-law driving off the cliff in your new Porsche when it comes to uh, the, the dictionary definition of missed emotions kind of sucked watching him win the Super Bowl. I was happy for him at the same time. It kind of sucks as I, you know, what's coming and we're in the middle of it now. What I, the, the Belichick Brady score, but which by the way, Ryan Rosillo has been using as a hook on his podcast all year. And that's another one I just recently unsubscribed from. It's just, again, silly season. I want to throw just a couple of names at each of you before we sign off. Scarzi, yes or yeah. no, Marcus Mariota. I found out uh, a couple of days ago that Marcus Mariota is different than Blake Bortles. So yes, Mariota. John Mariota. <laughs> you, you know how I feel about Mariota. I am, uh, I am very intrigued with Mariota in this offense. I think he'd be very good. Uh, I think the people who have talked about if the, if this year's Patriots had just gotten, you know, maybe slightly above average quarterback play, they, they were a 10 or 11 win team. I believe that. I believe Mariota is at least that. So yeah, sign me up for Mariota at a, at a, at, at the fourth round supplemental pick is a poetic price to pay for Mariota. Good point. Give me a, John, give me another name that you would like to see that's realistic. That's uh, been floated out there. That's realistic. Oof. I mean, it's, I mean, they're really, you know, it's so much of, you know, what it is for me. It's Garoppolo for me. Yeah. Garoppolo. I, I guess I'm not even, I thought of Garoppolo, but then I'm like, is it realistic? You know, a couple other dominoes have to, have to fall before it loosens up with Garoppolo. But, you know, I think the the guy that I like is, but I, I don't like him at 15. I don't think, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced yet is Mac Jones, but I'll tell you what, if Bill Belichick takes Mac Jones at 15, I'm still in bill. I trust that to me says that the report he got from Nick Saban is off the charts. Good. And that he believes that Mac Jones can be the guy, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that Bill Belichick is looking for a guy in the quarterback room who reminds him of Tom Brady. So if he takes Mac Jones or anybody at 15, then that is a huge endorsement in my opinion. Agreed. Scott, did you have a name, either a veteran or some, or a rookie that might come in that you'd be like, okay, let's go. Let's see. I want to, I'm a big fan of uh, Garoppolo as well for just the, uh, just the fact that he performed well while he was here. Does anyone know if Keith Null is still in the league? <laughs> I don't think Keith Null knows. Maybe not, but I, I, I just hope that they do some, uh, do some due diligence and see if uh, whoever they get can, you know, complete a forward pass. I, I think that's an important skill set to have in today's modern, you know, go go, uh, pass happy uh, football. Pass happy. We forgot to talk about the Hall of Fame. Oh goodness, oh. you're right. Oh, uh, you know what? This is a good point, and that's on me. I'm supposed to be the pass-first point guard, or at least setting you guys up. So let's um, – we, we had a walkthrough about a week ago, right after Jeff Howe uh, ostensibly vo- vouched for Ron Borges and his preparedness in uh, presenting the case of Patriots uh, – Ron Borges being the local uh, – New England local writer who presents 
Patriots for uh, presentation to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. That, of course, is disgraced plagiarist and fictionist Ron Borges, who also uh, dabbles in assaulting the elderly in handicap. Um, it's, I, I'm going to try to explain this away from, to myself. Mike Reese came out and basically, it didn't just basically, he did vouch for Borges today. And I think this is a case of two young guys who I think work hard. Jeff Howe's been on in Titletown. I think these are two guys who work hard. They have respect for their, for their elders, unlike Borges, ironically. But they're, they're going out of their way to vouch for Borges and saying that he's... Borges infamously wrote that Richard Seymour at 6'6", was too tall to play end and too slow to play, or was he too slow to play end and too tall to play tackle? Richard Seymour's a Hall of Famer in my book. I'm biased, clearly. Um, Scarty, what are your thoughts on Borges um, being as, John Tomasi's associated with the Baseball Hall of Fame as well. So it's, it's the cesspools cross sports here, but in particular on Borges, uh, am, am I missing something? Well, I'm just going to, you know, get off track for a second here and say that I think the, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame is stupid, and Dwight Evans should definitely be in it, if that gives you any idea of how I feel about Halls of Fame. But uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Head of Jim Rice for damn sure. <laughs> but there, uh, that's a show. Th- there we go. That's a show. But uh, I don't. The idea that these people, it's their, it is their absolute last grasp at uh, relevance, being a uh, Hall of Fame presenter slash voter thing for these people. No wonder they hang on to it. And uh, a, a decent person would have uh, stepped down. But how about that? Yeah, I think you just gave the disclaimer there. Let me just, before I throw it over to John, yeah, these are just a couple of Hall of Fame voters of note. Obviously, Borges is a presenter. Um, he presumably votes the same as Mike Sando does, who is the Seattle rep that he plagiarized from. Uh, Gary <laughs> Myers. I, I run, irony can be ironic sometimes. Gary Myers, uh, the hack out of New York, the hack, the hack, the hack on the national media, Pete King, Sal Palantonio, who is, you, you, Sal Palantonio will, will read or report whatever uh, his NFL um, bosses put in front of him. He's like Ron Burgundy that he will read anything on that teleprompter for you. That's Sal Pal. Tony Dungy and Bill Polian are also on that list. So that, that's a real, uh, yeah, that's a list. Uh, any thoughts on it, John? Yeah, I, I just think it's, I think it's awful that Borges is presenting on There's no accountability in that industry. It's a backslapping know, it, cesspool. It, it, it's, it's, and it's what Borges has said online. You know, the, the stuff he said about Belichick, about, you know, taking his lunch money and beating him up. The stuff he said about Seymour in the draft. The stuff he said about Brady recently when somebody sent him a clip of, I think it was uh, Terry Bradshaw getting lit up, you know, five yards out of bounds by a, a Browns defender and making a comment about, you know, Brady would still be on the sidelines crying or, you know, never mind what Nate Clement did to him in Buffalo in 2001. Everybody, everybody played that hit on Twitter after that. Yeah. Bor- Borges is a hack. I mean, I don't, don't even like wasting oxygen to him, but these guys, they want to keep putting, showing their asses there. I think they're there to be, they're, they're there to be made sport of. Um, for people like us. Yeah, I mean, Borges, it bothers me. It bothers all of us. I think that C- that he's presenting on Seymour. It's going to bother me more 
when he's presenting on guys like Brady and Gronk. I think he said online he didn't think Gronk was a first ballot Hall of Famer, which is ridiculous. It's going to bother me, you know, the most when he's presenting on Belichick. You know, I can't even, I'm sick to my stomach thinking about a guy like Borges presenting on Belichick. I don't care how, how well thought out his case is. You know, everybody in the room knows it's a complete con. And, and credit to Reese and Howe for being gentlemen, you know, in their, in their business and, and not, you know, kind of blowing them up. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, it should be guys like that presenting on all of the Patriots associated with this era, not a guy like Borges, who has been rooting against this era for the last 20 years. It's just, and it's, it's been just wrong for the last ridiculous. 20 years. Yeah, it's been wrong for the last 20 years when he hasn't been plagiarizing somebody who's been right. You know, it's, it's, he's just, he represents everything that's kind of wrong with with the process and and frankly the sports media industry and he's, no, he's not were... even employed you know the guy's not even employed and he's why are you he's saying the talk of fame network the talk <laughs> of fame network is about as legitimate as the djbs journal yeah here's <laughs> the thing the, the bjbs journal has more followers on twitter i would i would uh, yeah, almost almost certainly so here's the thing regarding the hall of fame it, 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 it's a larger point to media scarcity mm-hmm. paul zimmerman dr z back in the day Paul Zimmerman went on a, a, a tirade. I'm a, I don't remember the exact date. I'm going to assume it was late in the 2000s where he went on and on about Randy Moss will never go in the Hall of Fame. Believe, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said that, quote, I'm going to paraphrase him, um, that he would get in over his dead body. Now, Dr. Z's passed on, so I'm going to resist the easy joke. But the larger point is that these museums, and that's what they are, they're museums, and I've been to Canton, I've been to Cooperstown. They're great. So maybe I'm part of the same hypocrisy, Senator. But these guys are on these boards. This is where they get to grind their axes. This is where they have final say over the legacy of people like Randy Moss, Bill Belichick, John Tomasi opining on, I don't like Roger Clemens, but John Tomasi and Ron Borges, Ron Borges has gone on the record on radio insinuating that he knows stuff about Bill Belichick you know, he has, he has something on Belichick, whether it has something to do with his ex-wife or something like that, I don't know. He's also been on the record that he, if he was in school with Belichick, he would have had all of his quarters. These guys are on this committee. John Clayton's a Hall of Fame voter. These guys are there, Scartsy. This is where they get to grind their axes, and they live for that. Yes, yes, they do. That's, uh, that's the sad, sad truth of it. Yeah, really. I hate to go. I hate to end this podcast on a downer. Um, but um, I think we've done a podcast, Scarzi. What do you think? I think we have done a podcast. If you'd uh, like to read some of my uh, some of my musings and scribblings, you can head over now to the fifteennet.com. Yes, you heard that correctly. The one five netcom because we know what we're doing over there. Allegedly. And that's where the that's where the cleaning out the sports junk drawer column can be found nowadays. And I, I listen, I'm not. It's it's the only thing I read uh, regularly, and I've I've said that time and again. And you read my mind. Uh, Scartelli is on Twitter at Pat's Cartel, and at each week at the fifteen net dot com. Uh, John, your Twitter is at that John Irons. Really original, by the way. Uh, you can also tweet the show at entitled uh, at Entitled Town or like Vinny Jace. Uh, you can shoot us an email and give us a discussion point because we're lazy and can't come up with topics that time, which make us perfectly immediate adjacent. Um, so we're at entitledtown at uh, gmail.com. 
one last time, fellas, anything else? Yeah. Got to give a shout out to our friend, Jim, who has been DMing me relentlessly. When are we going to do this again? So we did it for you, Jim. Oh, the paraphrase, Pat Boland. This one's for John. <laughs> All right. So entitletown at gmail.com. And that is it for this episode. Thank you for listening. But please don't forget this very important message. Turn off your radio. <laughs>